What would it look like to make church relational again? Across the world, there seems to be a disruption in the way we've done church. In fact, some are so done with church that they're called duns, yet they're not necessarily done with Jesus. We love Jesus. We love the church. Yet so often the cacophony of unhealthy Christian culture can confuse our perceptions of God. Welcome to the Relational Revolution podcast. It is our hope in these conversations to distinguish the signal of Christ from the noise of Christianity. We invite you into an ongoing exploration of rediscovering church as heart-to-heart connection. Welcome to the Relational Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Jason Twombly. So excited for uh, all of our listeners to hear from a very special guest of ours. We are going through the book, Relational Revolution, Five Shifts for Rediscovering Church as Heart-to-Heart Connection. And we recently interviewed Tony Daniels, one of the co-authors. We're going to interview Dr. Kent Smith. Today is my distinct delight to interview John White. A little bit about John before I bring him on is John is uh, one of the co-founders of Luke 10. He's also host of the podcast, Stories of the Revolution. You wanna make sure that you look at the show notes and give a listen and share uh, stories from the revolution to really tune in to what the Lord is doing even across the globe as he's reshaping what it looks like to live church as heart-to-heart connection. Uh, John's vision aligns with Luke 10. It's to see vibrant families of Jesus and easy access of every person in every region and every group on the earth. In the book, there's a whole bunch of other things that John has done. He is uh, a mentor to me and a dear friend. So John, I'd like to welcome you on the podcast. Thank you, Jay. Great to be here. One little correction on my podcast is stories from the revolution. So if people are looking that up, just that might help them get there. But great to be with you. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's so good to connect. We connect regularly and we get to connect in, in this space. So I look forward to uh, all that Jesus will uncover. So it's like us. And I've, I've learned this even from Tony and her, her podcasts. We practice our rhythms uh, even on the podcast. So I would invite us to just take about a minute or two go within, we'll do a check-in, and then uh, ask the Lord. There's so many things that you and I could talk about, so I want to know what he has in mind and uh, work our way in reverse engineering. So would two minutes sound good to you? Sure, yeah. Okay, I'll call us back in two. Okay. Sometimes two minutes is not enough. Would you like to uh, go ahead first and check in and share any impressions that came up for you? I would be happy to. Um, so, um, when when people do church one on one, which is sort of our basic course, sort of the front door into Luke ten, um, sometimes when the facilitator is in training, they record the call, not to make public, but for training purposes. So I had the the great pleasure of watching one of those calls yesterday 
this was your wife, Victoria, wow. facilitating a Church 101 group of, uh, I think there were three people in the group. And there are three things about that that just makes my heart sing. One is that Victoria, who again is in training, so she'll she'll work with Ryan on that, does a great job facilitating. She just creates such a, a wonderful, joyful, inviting atmosphere uh, to this group. So I love watching her yeah. doing what she's doing. So that's delightful. One of the people in the group is my sister-in-law. Wow. And uh, they're, they're on week two. And she said that she had carved out an hour and a half every week to do the homework. But she checked in yesterday and said, this was so good. I spent five hours on it. <laughs> this is just changing my life. So that was amazing. Wow. And then the third thing was another guy in the group uh, is an older fella, more, more my age category, was the, the leader on a national level of a major parachurch ministry. Not now, but he was. And um, he said, um, so I'm really getting this idea of checking in. That's my wife and I are doing that. That's great. But this listening to Jesus part, in, in my ministry, it was all about studying the word and memorizing the word. And so I know how to hear the Lord saying something from scripture, but how do you, how do you hear other things that Jesus might be saying? And Victoria said, this is perfect. Lesson three is coming up next. You are going to love it because that's exactly what it's talking about. <laughs> All that to say, watching that video just made my heart sing, and I was—I'm checking in as delighted. Ah, oh, that is so good. I get to hear a little bit about that activity, uh, be, um, being home, and her her joy is overflowing with uh, the ability to facilitate, and and the Lord is just sending uh, these choice people that we've never met, and these heart connections are being made. So we're really grateful. Um. Well, I will go ahead and uh, check in. Was there anything else additionally that you wanted to share? I, I think that's the main thing, but also just looking forward to our conversation today. Um, the whole topic of spiritual moms and dads is one that's close to my heart. So I'm just delighted that we get to talk about that. Wonderful. Ah, well, your, your heart singing uh, is attuning mine and I'm still smiling. Uh, very much on, on what you're sharing. I can't wait for Victoria to listen to this podcast. Uh, for me, I am checking in excited and honored to, uh, for the podcast time with you. Um, we have all kinds of conversations throughout the week, and this is a, a different uh, slant. So I'm, I'm uh, really delighted uh, to talk with you. Secondly, I'm curious, um, who'll, who'll listen to it? Uh, as you've been podcasting for a bit, I'm still learning the ropes as Chad is the other uh, co-host. And I wonder who'll hear it and find it as an invitation and for a new way of being church. Yes. And thirdly, I'm checking in really fully satisfied from a Luke 10 in the wild event that we had over the weekend. Mm. And so uh, Bethany and her boys, um, she'll listen to this. Uh, we're here visiting from Florida. And so we spent uh, some of the weekend playing cornhole, um, eating ice cream, doing some fun things in the house, uh, having a worship time uh, here. And it was just a, a lovely time just goofing off and, and being glad uh, together. So it was, it was lovely. The impression I, I had as I was waiting on the Lord 
talking with him as I saw a, uh, a picture of uh, Jesus and he looked like Indiana Jones and he had that cool hat on and he was ahead of us. He had a machete in hand and he was just creating a path for the conversation today. And he had that inimitable smile when he would turn to the side. Kind of like, come on, boys, let's go. And it was this adventure um, because this moment in time has never existed and we're going to follow him. And so I had all of this kind of uh, missional adrenaline as if we were in a foreign country um, for this podcast. So that's what uh, that's what came to me. <laughs> I love your pictures, Jason. You always amaze me. And by the way, you used a phrase, Luke 10 in the wild. I wonder if all of your listeners would know what that is. Yeah, that's 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 the uh, the new rhythm that we're practicing in Luke 10. So in Luke 10, we have one uh, national or international conference that we have each year. And as we were paying attention to Jesus, that seemed to be uh, rewarding, but even a bit much for people. So we wound up uh, inviting our uh, leader team members to pray and to get together with their leader teams, these uh, these communities of practice, whatever it looked like, we could get together for a weekend in Colorado and go on the rapids. We could hang out in, in Spokane, Washington. And uh, so, yeah, we have these these different teams that are getting together and practicing our rhythms, but around great, great delight. So we find that play in Luke 10 is, is as just as important as praying. And so play is really, really uh, godly. And so we are getting together in these different uh, platoons that are just showing up and uh, we're keeping track and having having lots of fun. Great. So today we are up to, in, in the book, Relational Revolution. And if you haven't uh, gotten a copy on Kindle or her copy, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, but the idea of looking at the chapter Maturing Spiritual Parents, AKA People of Peace, seem to be particularly important for me and i know it resonates with with john's heart so i'm going to go ahead and read the the declaration for it and then maybe we can unpack some of that and then i've, I've crafted a few different questions we may get there it's uh not typical that we get through all of them but we'll see what we can uncover so this declaration that luke 10 put together is all about these maturing spiritual parents and it says this, and I, I mentioned this on the last podcast, but it's worth repeating. We are a community made up of different generations, including weak and strong alike. As older members of our society, we seek to sacrificially care for our children first. And then once they're grown, we give our lives to sacrificially caring for entire communities. We are people of peace. We know this takes maturity, emotional and spiritual alike. We are among those maturing all over the world whom God is prepared to help harvest his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. We do not have to overwork ourselves or care for communities outside of our ability. We get to be God's children, grow where we are weak, and overflow as we receive. We can call on God to send out more people of peace and trust God to do so. As he does, we get to connect with them and mutually train each other. John, I read that probably like five or six times again today. 
And I made some notes in my journal and so many things popped out of that section. So I was camping out on, on that. And so, so many questions I have even about that section. But the first one is this, how important is not overworking and caring for communities at the ability where you're at within Luke 10? How important is it for us to pay attention to those in our training and practicing communities to not overwork, practice that soul care, and to not let their ambition outpace their ability to care for themselves? Yeah. Well, there are probably lots of answers to that question. Uh, one that immediately comes to mind is around the word sustainability. Mm. Um, you know, if we conceive of uh, the our walk with the Lord as being like a hundred yard dash, uh, that's one thing. But in fact, it's probably not that. It's more like a marathon. And so we have to learn to pace ourselves and to go at a pace that is sustainable over time. And uh, so many Christians, especially leaders, pastors, um, are, are suffering from burnout. You know, they're they're just such pressure on making church in the traditional sense work. Uh, having been a pastor for 25 years, having lots of friends in the ministry, I sure know what that's like. And so I, I don't think that's what God's called us to, uh, to burn out, but to go at a pace that is sustainable uh, over time. It sounds like, to borrow Eugene Peterson's title, to borrow Nietzsche's phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. There you go. A, a joyful long obedience, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. To upgrade that title. And it says that we get to be God's children in that declaration, that second half that jumped out to me. We get to be God's children. So now you're old enough to be my dad, and you are, you've been pastoring and doing things longer than I can imagine. And I love that. So, how does John White, co founder of Luke 10, uh, podcaster of Stories from the Revolution, wearing all of these different hats, how does John White get to be a child of God. What does that look like in maybe your quiet time devotional life? And but aren't you busy building this international global movement? So when we first started Luke 10, which is like 15 years ago, uh, Ken Smith and I, we had no idea what we we're doing. About <laughs> all we knew was that God had given us a title for this ministry, uh, Luke 10, and which really flowed from an understanding, which I... I didn't, they didn't teach us this in seminary, but the understanding was that uh, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, that he had a way of actually accomplishing that. I kind of look out and see lots of people that have come up with their strategy for accomplishing the Great Commission, you know, Bill Bright with Campus Crusade, and it just doesn't, and it never dawned on me that Jesus had a strategy, a way of doing that. But I think we see that in, first of all, in Matthew 10, and then in Luke 10. And it basically was sending guys out two by two to find a house of peace and to establish there what I would call a kingdom community. And so that's really kind of how we started out with Luke 10. But we, we didn't have Church 101. We didn't have all these other things. But the, the two parables of the talents were places where Jesus really spoke to me. Um, again, the basic idea, the, the master you know, gives some stuff for these servants, goes away, comes back, and and he says to them, because you were faithful, one one passage says in a small thing, the other is a um, is a few things, and so I felt like the Lord was speaking to me and saying, every day 
I just want you to listen to me for a few small assignments that I will give you. They're not hard. They're not exhausting. They're just a few of them. They're very small. And what I'm looking for is not brilliance. It's not great intelligence. I'm just looking for faithfulness. I'm just looking for follow through on those things. And that's basically what we did. Just sort of one day at a time. What's the Lord leading us to do today? And out of that, amazingly, this ministry called Luke 10 with all these different people and parts has emerged. So it hasn't been hard. It's just being listening well to the few small things that God has for us. And what what uh, faithfulness has, has he rewarded as uh, we're watching some of these rhythms multiply uh, across the world? So I'm really grateful for uh, you and Kent uh, paying attention to Jesus and, and following him as if he was uh, the head of the church. So I, uh, I love that so much. So this really seems like a revolutionary strategy that you're mentioning that Jesus just dropped on, on, on you guys. And it's been there all along, as you met Matthew 10 and Luke 10. And Jesus seems more interested in this connecting heart to heart than simply giving us just, you know, mere information. And so how did you discover this revolutionary strategy in the scriptures? Um, and what does it mean to, to be a house of peace? And what, what, what was he doing then? And how does it even apply today? Like, how can we get into, how can I get in on this? <laughs> there are so many, so many parts. Can you narrow that down for me a little bit? What specifically, because uh, there are just a lot of things I could talk about with that, but yeah, which part of that? So how about like in, in Luke 10, we see Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, yep. um, possibly showing us what it looks like to, to be church and to be salt and light. And that revolutionary strategy uh, seems to be influencing the way that Luke 10 is moving. How, why is that important to, I would say, pay attention to this house of peace concept? And maybe what is that? And how can I do that like today? Like I'm listening to this podcast. How could I just pay attention to the Lord of the harvest and maybe do something a little bit differently rather than the drive-by evangelism yeah. moments? Well, again, I'm, I'm back to those two parables because he says, Jesus, the, the master says, because you are faithful in a few small things, I will give you the large and the many. I will give you 10 cities. And I was just so struck by that, that it's not like we're going to have to earn it or figure it out or anything else. He says, I will, if you're faithful, I will give you these things. And little by little, that's what we've experienced. So one of the first things that I felt like the Lord wanted us to do and wanted me to do was to just live in Luke 10, especially the first two verses. So I, I just meditated on that, lived in that, talked to the Lord about it, and all sorts of concepts and ideas began to emerge out of that. So uh, it says Jesus uh, called 72 others to himself, and I'm, I'm thinking others, so maybe it's 72 plus the 12, so maybe we're talking 84 guys. And then I found myself one day just kind of soaking in that verse. I began to picture it. I began to to see 84 guys up on the hillside. And there's Jesus. He's preparing them to go out to do what? Well, to do the very things that he's been doing, which is what? Finding houses of peace. So it says he, he pairs them up, sends them out two by two. And I pictured Jesus saying, okay, uh, Peter and Andrew, you, you guys go together. James and John, you guys go together. 
So he's now got 42 teams of two men each. And he sends them to every town and village where he's going to go. So he's got a vision for what we call saturation church planting. Um, and then in verse 2, oh man, verse 2 is amazing. Um, he, he says, the, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. That's an amazing statement. He's got 42 church planting teams, and Jesus says, it's not very many. So that made me wonder, well, what, Jesus, how much would be enough? And how do you get more? And he gives us the answer in part B. So we call it the 10 to B prayer. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers uh, into the harvest. And so with my friend Kenny, we decided we would actually take him up on that. And so we, again, small little steps. Uh, I said, Kenny, how about if we, if you and I just pray this prayer um, every day together for like, we could do it maybe for a week, right? And Kenny said, yeah, okay. Can we do it over the phone? Yeah, I think we could do that. So we did it for a week. And then the Lord said, keep going. So Kenny and I prayed this prayer together every day, either in person or on the phone, I think for six years. Wow. I don't think we missed 10 days just because that's what the Lord told us to do. And out of that, all sorts of other things began to emerge. So again, what's the principle? What can we do today? So Jesus, what do you want me to know today? What's, this, what's the small assignment you have for me today? And focus on that. And who knows where that's, that's going to take you. Um, I'll do, say one other thing. And again, this just comes out of, of just sitting in this passage. I'm picturing these 84 guys on the, on the hill. And Jesus says, um, when you go into a town or village, you have one job. Find the house of peace. And it struck me that nobody, because this is the critical component. If you can find a house of peace, everything else is easy. Nobody raised their hand and said, excuse me, Jesus, what exactly is a house of peace? Nobody did that. I thought, why, why is that? And as I began to study and dig into it, it turns out that this concept, a shalom bet, is a term in Hebrew that everybody understood. They all knew what a house of peace was. And it's a place where the shalom of God has already been at work in their lives. And so there's a relationship with husband and wife, parents and kids, neighbors, all the rest. That's the place that you're supposed to look for. Oh, okay. So little by little, God was adding the pieces of the puzzle that, that we need to know. I know it's uh, affected and upgraded uh, our lens of how we want to encounter uh, people in South Carolina as Victoria and I moved here. And as we pray that prayer, it ca causes us to slow things down, pay attention to where God is working, uh, and even to shift the way that we're praying. And he's just been sending the right people. And it's uh, like we often say that Jesus does the heavy lifting. And we're amazed <clears throat> at uh, the different way of being church. Uh, and there seems to be a mutual even giving and we're, we're equipping some people, people are equipping us and there's that life giving flow. The rest of the declaration talks about this mutual training. And I want to ask you about that. Uh, it says that we can call on God to send out more people of peace and trust God to do so. And as he does, we get to connect with them and mutually train each other. So that phrase mutually training one another, it seems like a significant component or building block um, within Luke 10. Can you tell me a little bit more of, of how this works, how we train ourselves individually, 
and then we get together with a group. And that seems a little bit different than what we might see in a spectator kind of Christianity. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of it happens, you know, we have this little simple concept of a CO2, a church of two. Hmm. That's the most basic level. And it can be husband and wife, two guys, two gals. And if on a daily, close to daily as possible, we're checking in with our emotions, our emotions being sort of a window into the heart. And as we get comfortable sharing that with each other, uh, all of the kinds of issues you would need to, to deal with in disciple making come up. Um, I remember talking to a guy who I think he was at the NAVS, and he, was, he developed this huge notebook on how to make disciples and all these mm -hmm. steps and verses and things you got to memorize and then do this and all the rest. And what if it's organic? What if it's just living life like Jesus did? You know, you don't sense that he's got a manual that says, okay, now we're on week 17, and this is what you need to do this week. He's paying attention to, to his people and to the Lord. In Luke 10, we think one of the critical little verses in all the Gospels, which really explains the ministry of Jesus, is found in John 5, 19. It's the pool of Bethesda. The guy's been lame for 38 years. Jesus heals him. And then the Jews are asking him questions. And he responds to them with this. You don't understand. I don't do anything on my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. And so that's what we want to train each other to do and pay attention ourselves. What is the Father up to in my life and in your life? And as we, as we pay attention to that, all the things that are needed for growth and maturity seem to happen organically and naturally. That was one of the attractions for me uh, three years ago when I heard about Luke 10, uh, particularly the excitement around John 519, because sometimes I found that pastoring and being a missionary and doing all sorts of things, uh, not everyone was on board with doing what Jesus wanted to do um, because there were so many other good ideas that had happened um, that were more tethered toward uh, success and results. And part of the cultural shift that the Relational Revolution book talks about is, I think it's on, I have a different copy of the book, but I'll go ahead and, and uh, read this little section. It says, Becoming and training emotionally mature spiritual moms and dads is rarely ever a working concept in most church systems. Intellectual maturity, gifting maturity, social maturity might be expected from leaders. However, none of these maturities actually ensure that we love one another. And it talks about, you know, um, how important spiritual maturity is. And the so I would say this on one side, church is all about promoting excellence we want to be good and you know make sure that we come across as not necessarily polished some people do but uh this idea of e excellence and also we, um, a lot of churches being centered on mission and that's really really important for them uh, but that's at the expense of resting receiving and relating healthily and that idea of winning at all costs we have to have results we have to have results can lead to that narcissistic culture and a lot of your podcast gives uh exhibit a scenarios and i really really enjoy that so so on one side i've been a part of that and on the other side this book is talking about another mode of slow growth 
even at uh, the speed of attachments. So where character and growth are more important than the results. How important is that? Um, or I should say, how is God using Luke 10 to help reshape and change Christian culture in that regard? Yeah. I think a fundamental thing, Jay, is, is it goes back to what is the church anyway? Mm. And if we, if we see the church, which I did, I mean, I was a traditional pastor for 25 years, four years in seminary, been trained to do all that stuff. And fundamentally, we really saw church as an organization, an institution, a meeting, a program, a performance. It was all those things. Now, we sort of gave language to, well, we're really the family of God, but that's not really how we lived. And so if church is a, a performance, an organization, then excellence is key. You need highly gifted people to pull that off. And the more gifted the people are, the bigger your church can grow. And so we have these mega churches that attract, you know, thousands of people and, and God certainly uses them, but we also see tremendous damage being done in many cases. Um, I think Bill Hybels, you know, is, a, is a, one example. Um, Mars Hill Church with, um, what's his name? Mark Driscoll. Yeah, Mark Driscoll. And, and if you, you know, listen to the podcast on that, it's just heartbreaking to see what's happened. So it, it has to do with what we understand church to be. Um, that's what I understood church to be, is an organization, a, a program. And then one day, it, it, this, this thought dawned on me, and I never heard none of any of my professors talk about it. And that is that in the New Testament, every church mentioned met in a home and functioned like a small spiritual family. I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks when I realized that that was the case. Turns out that was true probably at least until 300 AD. That, that was simple, but, but revolutionary to, to think about that. Um, so much to say about it. One part of it is, why, why was that true? Well, it was because the early church was Jewish. And it, there was no such thing as a separate Christian religion, at least until 70 AD with the first Jewish revolt. So for at least 40 years, Christianity focused within the context of Judaism. One of the basic values in Judaism is the home not the synagogue, was the center of spiritual life. The synagogue was supportive of that, but it was in the home where you studied Torah, uh, Deuteronomy 6, where you celebrated Passover, you had the Shabbat meal every week. Uh, it, was a, it was a home-based um, kind of a thing. Uh, I read an article a number of years ago, I love the title. Um, the, the, it was, Why Are There No Hittites on the Streets of New York? Uh, <laughs> what, what's that? And his basic principle was the Hittites were like a, they were like superpowers. If you go back, um, you know, 3,000 years, they were, they were like, you know, the, the big guys on the block. But they're gone today. They, we don't know any Hittites. But you know who is on the streets of New York? There are a lot of Jews. Right. Yep. What's the difference? Well, the, the, Judy, the, the, the culture of the Hebrews, the Jewish faith, was rooted in the home. So you can destroy the synagogue, you can destroy the temple, but you're never going to get rid of all the families. And that's the genius of Judaism. Well, that's, that's the context in which Jesus was starting churches. He wasn't starting something new. He was building on something that was, that was already there. So if we understand church as primarily family, it changes everything. Um, and so you don't need a big performance. You don't need highly gifted people. What you need are 
spiritual moms and dads. And so that's why in Luke 10, we say our mission statement is to connect and equip spiritual moms and dads. That's the focus of what we want to do. Lots to say about that, but that's that's kind of how we understand changing the culture. Mm. I, I enjoy hearing the uh, the history and the genius of God and that familial concept, um, which really we can trace back to the uh, original family of Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're practicing what uh, we see in heaven, becoming yep. the sons and daughters on earth as we are the sons and daughters. Just a comment there, what you're saying. It is hugely significant that the name that Jesus calls God is Father. I mean, if you just stop and think about that, what does that mean? It means that this idea of family is at the center of everything, and the Trinity first. But then what are churches? They're really, I think, meant to be sort of little models of Trinitarian community. But the fact that God is called Father speaks volumes. It seems uh, very significant to me that we can't uh, find a shortcut outside of the fathering of ourselves from God and even from one another. And I know that one of your roles in Luke 10 has been to show up um, with highly gifted people that are, are in Luke 10, but sometimes we have to pause and and kind of ask the Lord to, the Lord to um, reparent us in some yeah. ways. And so uh, taking what he does, the Lord does globally, what does it look like for us to uh, reparent ourselves uh, in, in kind of groups? And I know that you and I have talked in the IFS sense of what it looks like uh, to settle the the children within us that sometimes are unruly. And I know that sometimes we talk about Psalm 131 and how David even did that and quiet and soothe himself. Um, I'm always intrigued by those things that I'm learning. And I look at my times or quiet times with Jesus very much different. Can you comment uh, as much as you'd like about that? Sure. So IFS, meaning internal family systems therapy, kind of a whole way of thinking about our internal world that we found to be really helpful. And then uh, Psalm 131, verse 2, um, we've talked about that. This is an amazing little verse in there. David is speaking, and he says, I have comforted and quieted, soothed my soul, like a weaned child uh, with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul. There's so much in that one little verse. First of all, you get the idea that there, David is recognizing there are at least two parts of him. There's the part of him that's like a mother, and there's another part that's like a weaned child, which he calls a soul. So we begin to have like permission to think about our internal world as having different, different parts to who we are. Another thing that's astonishing is here's David as a male functioning like a mother, like a female, with this part of him that needs comforting and soothing. Um, I'm sort of on the journey of, Lord, teach me how to do that. Um, I didn't grow up in a family where we were really very good at comforting and soothing. And so uh, at my advanced age of 75, I'm, I'm on the journey to try to learn how, how to do that. Um, so there's that's happening internally, and we encourage that and talk about that in Luke 10. But then it happens interpersonally. So as we are in relationship with people, things come up, issues come up. Sometimes we irritate each other. Sometimes we have arguments. Sometimes we have conflicts. 
And I feel like in Luke 10, we have the, the tools to begin to deal with those. Uh, Tony Daniels, who's our training champion, and I tend to kind of rub each other the, the, that way sometimes. We just are both strong personalities, and uh, she'll get frustrated with me. I get frustrated with her, and, and we have to use some of the tools, speaker-listener, uh, to, to slow things down and really hear each other, learning how to uh, repair ruptures in relationships. And so there's a lot of that kind of thing that goes on as well. So it's another way interpersonally that this kind of growth happens. Mm. Well, that's been very valuable for me just to slow things down, listen to the other person, enter into some empathy and, and uh, a new perspective. Um, that is something that, you know, I didn't learn always growing up or in some of my spiritual training. And I love that we're offering that um, in our um, ecosystems of grace. Ah, well, I'm looking through the chapter and there, there's so many more things that perhaps we can we can pull out. Um, I'm thinking about um, identifying unique design within people. Um, as you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, an article you posted about Daniel Fuller that I was going to comment on. And so I thought that was really, really good. So um, that's on the Luke 10 Facebook group if people are interested in, in checking that out. So that's another direction. Um, but also I'm wondering where you see Luke 10 perhaps in 25 years from now, if you want to comment on that, if the Lord fully funded us with endless resources, uh, as if we're not, but what if we did in, in a capacity to grow at the speed he wants us to do, what can you foresee that would be in the heart and the dream of God for, for Luke 10? Any of those things? So that's when I'll be 100 years old. So I'm looking forward to that, that time. Uh, a couple of thoughts come to mind. We, I often talk about Luke 10 as being like a benevolent virus. I spent the first half of my Christian life in what I would call programmatic church, evangelism, discipleship. And so it's sort of a top-down, organizational, structured uh, kind of a thing. <clears throat> and, and I think what Luke 10 is, is much more viral much more organic than it is programmatic. And so it's spreading quietly, slowly from person to person to person as people are infected in the best sense of the word. Um, I, I love the book, The Starfish and the Spider, uh, which kind of picks up on this idea that some organizations are more like spiders. That is, there's a sort of a centralized head, cut the head off, the whole thing dies. Then there's starfish. The DNA is throughout the whole organism. So you cut a starfish in half, throw them back in the ocean, you have two starfish. And so there, there's a difference between general motors, um, the Catholic church, we could give different examples of spider type organizations versus Al-Qaeda, uh, the abolitionist movement. These were very organic. That's what I see Luke 10 being. So who knows uh, what could happen if this virus continues to spread as it is over the next 25 years. Another thing I think about is a little concept called uh, the diffusion of innovation. And the guy who pioneered this <clears throat> sees any kind of an innovation mapped out on a bell-shaped curve. So we've got the curve. And over here on this side, the first little section are the innovators and the only people they can reach. They can't reach the people on the far side over there. They can reach the early adopters. Mm -hmm. 
and the early adopters can reach the late adopters and they can reach the early majority and so on. So 25 years, I think we might see ourselves pretty far along on this uh, diffusion of innovation. Um, I hope that it's transformed um, how, I mean, I'm not opposed to buildings. Um, I love the, the uh, motto of the, of the Chinese house church movement, every home a church, every building a training center. I can get on board if, if a church sees themselves as a training center to train people how to do church in their homes, great. So I'd love to see that happening, autonomous house churches happening. Um, I've often thought if, if this idea of every home a church could be just magically imposed upon America today, there's got to be a million Christian households. If every one of them got the idea of our home is the first expression of church. Let's learn how to do that. It could transform America like in a week, I think. So hopefully in 25 years, we're going to see a lot more of that. Well, I look forward to that 100th birthday party with you. And I'll make sure I shout on the uh, the Zoom call, whatever. <laughs> might be a hologram at that point. So we'll see. Uh, well, this has been uh, very nurturing just to converse with you. Um, is there anything else that I would like just to give you an opportunity to share uh, what's on your heart, whether it's an uh, encouragement, an invitation toward, uh, toward our listeners that are working through this book, uh, or even a challenge? I know you're in Enneagram 8, so challenging, um, you could do that with one eye open. Um, anything else that is on your heart before we come to a close? Let me look at my notes for just a second. I wrote a couple of things down here, see if there's anything that I particularly... Here's, here's a quote. One his, uh, historian said, the early church conquered the Roman Empire one household at a time. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think those are the main things. Um, if for people that are listening, uh, if you're reading Relational Revolution, I think it's a great kind of left-brain um, picture of what we think is the cultural shift that not should happen, but is already happening. It's not just through Luke 10. We see this happening through other ministries and organizations as though God is starting something that we're in one of these um, sort of something called a hinge of history where, where things are changing. You know, maybe like with Martin Luther or John Wesley, uh, a major turning point. You know, We won't know for years, but it feels like that might be what's, what's underway. So the book is a great left-brain explanation of five cultural shifts that we think God is up to. And we're camping on one of those in this idea of spiritual moms and dads, which is about leadership. We think that leadership within Christianity needs to change, that it's not about picking the most gifted, charismatic people, that they can gather a crowd, but we've seen where that goes. But it's really shifting the culture, shifting the focus to developing maturity, mature parents. Um, so that's left brain. And, and so what I'd say to people is the place you get the right brain experience of this, begin to get it, is in Church 101, just like the video that I started with. People are really, they're tasting it. They're, they're experiencing it relationally, what this shift is like. And so I would encourage, if you haven't signed up for Church 101, that you would uh, ask the Lord about doing that. Ah, I love that uh, clear clarion call uh, 
towards practicing in that holistic sense of not just the left brain. Here's more information. Here's just this book. And so the book is a um, more of a launching pad than a landing pad. And so we want to bring people into that uh, community of practice where, wherever they're at. So I'm wondering if we can actually practice um, some of the things we're talking about. And this is a, a Luke 10 to be prayer. And so I'm prompted to ask you, John, as we're closing out, would you consider praying for us? No one's prayed on our podcast yet. How about that? So you might be the first person maybe praying to the Lord of the Harvest, uh, a Luke 10 to be prayer over maybe Luke 10 in general, the organization, or I know we do it in a customized way for ourselves, or maybe those people that will be listening today and drawing people to, uh, to those next steps. Uh, could I ask you to do that? You could. I will. All right. <laughs> Uh, yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you for uh, for Jay and for this podcast, this idea that you've given him. Uh, I love that. I pray that it would uh, that it would spread, be another aspect of the virus. And Lord, we uh, you've taught us to um, to take seriously to obey uh, this commandment in a half a verse, Luke ten verse two part B, to beseech the Lord of the harvest. Uh, that's an imperative. It's a command that we're supposed to do this. It's part of what it means to be a disciple. And so I'm always glad to have an opportunity to do that. And I thank you, first of all, for all of the uh, the answers you've sent out. It is so fun to, to come across. And in Luke 10, we call them, I got another 10 to be answered. And it's like, this is so easy. Uh, this is not hard at all. It's just praying that prayer and then having eyes to see. So thank you for all of the people that you brought us already who are hungry, who are prepared, um, who, who just can't hardly wait to dive in. This, this transforms ministry from something burdensome. And so I wanna to continue to, to, to make that request, to beseech you that, that you would send these people forth. Um, in, in the Greek, it, it's ekbalo, to compel to leave, that there are people that need to leave an old paradigm of church because you're doing a new thing. And even today, we pray that you'd be doing that. Uh, across U.S., across, around the world, you would be sending these people that you have prepared to be to be trained in um, how to how to engage with you in a different kind of a way. So we ask that in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's like us in Luke ten to also have a closing round, and I don't think we've done that on our podcast yet. And a closing round that we practice in all of our calls is a practice in reflection because we don't learn by uh, podcasting alone or experience alone, but by reflecting on that podcast or, or experience. And so I wonder if you have any closing thoughts um, that may have been coming to mind, well, unless you need a little bit more time, but I have I have one. Do you need more a time for that or are you ready to enter into that? It's coming to mind right now. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll go first and turn it over to you. Uh, it's, it's very simple, but the thought occurred to me as you were um, referencing Luke chapter 10, that the fields are white unto harvest. Your last name is White. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, uh, and for our listeners, John has snow on the roof, and so he has white hair. And so he is um, epitomizing <laughs> in every sense of the word, what it looks like for the fields to be white unto harvest. And so that uh, sense of humor from Jesus, the risen rabbi, and like a, a, a 
sometimes Jesus sounds like Woody Allen when he talks to me, but that's another another matter. And that's, I, that's right there, I think, Jay. We need to talk about that. <laughs> we, we'll have a counseling session for sure. And uh, I just, I felt the pleasure and the humor of God of I'm raising up someone, his last name was White, in terms of Luke chapter 10. So, um, and also there's just a great, uh, a great sense of dialogue with you. Um, I often take notes when you speak, and uh, this was uh, no exception. So um, that's my, uh, my closing. How about you? Never thought about the, uh, the White um, part of all that. So thank you. Um, yeah, what's coming to me, Jay, is just appreciation for you. Uh, you are not just a podcaster, but you are the, the trainer, the trainer of trainers in Luke 10. And that is such a, a valuable, incredibly important ministry that God has given you. And you're so good at it. Uh, so like I think the next 25 years, um, we see the number of trainers multiplying. Who knows? There might be a thousand trainers, Jay. You're, you're going to be a busy guy. And then the trainers are the ones who train the facilitators, like your wife is going through right now. And maybe there are going to be 10,000 facilitators. Um, but I, I love the, the job you're doing on that. And, and the podcast uh, that you've jumped in on this. Again, I hope over 25 years that there are dozens of people uh, like you who are starting podcasts. And that, that you would be a model and example for um, all those things happening. So I just am very appreciative for who you are, your gifting. Um, the, you know, one of the things I love about you is you're so creative in your in your language. You're always coming up with pictures and language that I would never have thought of. And but it's always fun to listen to to uh, what comes to your mind. So appreciating you. Ah, thank you so much. My heart is smiling, and I'm still I'm filled with some adrenaline as we've been following uh, the greater Indiana Jones through this conversation. <laughs> and uh, it's been a, a great delight. So. Uh, for our listeners, look for stories from the revolution in our show notes. And also, if you haven't gotten a copy of the Relational Revolution, we're still finding people that are reading it, loving it, and saying, yeah, that's what my heart has been trying to say. And uh, I want to be part of this um, shifting of church culture. So, John, thank you for your time today, and I look forward to talking soon. You're welcome, Jay. We really appreciate you listening to another episode of Relational Revolution. Are you longing for deep and meaningful spiritual community? Do you desire heart-to-heart -heart connection with God and others? We'd like to invite you into a community of practice. We are a people of belonging and bliss. Why does practice matter? Practice matters because maturity matters. If you can't lead yourself well, how can you lead others? Consider joining us for an intro call at luke10lk10.com to explore what a safe and secure experience looks like to build, develop, and implement skills of relational connection and emotional intelligence so that we can become vibrant and joy-filled families of Jesus.